Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. We've been looking at Paul's message to the synagogue in the city of Antioch of Pisidia on his first missionary journey. And last time we focused on the events that led up to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, how he was the promised one uh, from the Old Testament uh, through the time of Abraham and David, and now God has brought forth a Savior for Israel, but the people of Israel rejected him and put him to death and hung him on a tree, and the last thing we saw uh, in our last session was them laying him in a tomb. Now today, Paul is going to continue in his message and talk about the incredible news that Jesus has been raised from the dead and that God has testified to the fact that Jesus is the true Messiah of Israel by the resurrection of the dead. And we will see the results of his sermon here in the second part of uh, his message in Acts chapter 13. So we're going to start reading from Acts 13 and verse 30. He says, But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he also says in another psalm, You will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses." Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. And so this concludes the first sermon of Paul recorded in the book of Acts in the city of Antioch. Now, right before we begin our reading for today, uh, Paul had talked about the rejection of Jesus. Although Jesus was the promised one sent to Israel from God, the leaders of the Jews had rejected him, condemned him, and ultimately crucified him. But verse 30 is the hinge. It's the turning point. He says, but God raised him from the dead. 
Jesus was raised up by God the Father, just as God had sovereignly overseen history to bring Jesus to Israel. Now he raises Jesus from the dead. And so really, in this sermon in the book of Acts, uh, this is presented, the resurrection of Jesus, as the turning point of human history, and particularly Israel's history. Now, Jesus appeared to many of his followers after his resurrection in verse 31. He appeared to the Galileans who were his disciples, and now they are his witnesses to the people that Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus was not only resurrected from the dead, but he was raised up as king. Now, there are a couple different ways that the term raised up is used in these verses. You can have him raised up to renewed life, uh, which speaks of his resurrection, but he can also be raised up in the same sense that God had raised up David back in verse 22. We read there, uh, and when he had removed him, speaking of Saul, the first king of Israel, he raised up David to be their king. It's not talking about resurrection for David there. It's talking about his uh, inauguration, his uh, placing as king, anointing as king. And so the same sense is used of Jesus in some of these verses uh, in the second half of his sermon. Uh, verse 32, we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. I think it's something of a play on words that Paul is using here. Not only has he raised Jesus back to life, but through the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus is now proven to be the true king of Israel, the one who truly fulfills 2 Samuel 7. You know, 2 Samuel 7, uh, there we are given the pr prediction that the son of David, a descendant of David, would sit on the throne of his father forever, and his kingdom would be everlasting. It would be an en enduring kingdom. And now we see that Jesus is the one who, through his resurrection, has been appointed as this king. He is rightfully king over Israel. So he will never die again. Uh, he is placed in, in uh, Psalm 2-7, uh, which says, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Now this supports, again, the idea that Jesus fulfills 2 Samuel 7 as it's being presented here in Acts 13. So Paul is telling the Jews in the synagogue that Jesus has been raised up, has been anointed by God the Father, and in his resurrection it has been definitively proven. Now in verses 34 through 37, he turns back to the resurrection itself focusing in on how he's been raised up from the dead and he will never die again. And Paul quotes both Isaiah 55, 3 and Psalm 16, 10 for support from the Old Testament. He explains in these verses that uh, the Messiah, who is Jesus now, he's arguing, would not see corruption. His body would not decay. He says, this cannot be true of David because David died. 
and he decayed. He went into the tomb, and his body did decompose. But Jesus did not, and so Jesus is the greater David, the true Messiah, uh, who's coming from God. In verses 38 and 39, he goes on to speak about the forgiveness and freedom that are now proclaimed through the Lord Jesus Christ. He says to the Jews and God-fearers in the synagogue that through the man, Jesus Christ, comes forgiveness of sins and true freedom, which can do what the law of Moses could not do. And so the hinge for this is faith. Forgiveness and freedom come to an individual in the moment that they believe in their hearts that Jesus is the promised Messiah of God sent to take away sins. What is this faith? Well, this faith is more than uh, merely a simple realization or understanding. It's an acknowledgement that Jesus is the one who can take away these sins and give eternal life and a trusting and dependence upon him. It's not simply an intellectual assent, but it's really a uh, devotion given by the heart toward the Lord Jesus. He can do uh, what the law of Moses could not do in setting us free, setting the Jews free, providing them with true freedom. You know, they believe that adherence to and obedience to the law of Moses was what God desired for them and would attain them uh, holiness before God, righteousness before God. Paul will speak about this in many of his letters that uh, he felt in his time before his conversion to Christ that he was blameless according to the law, that he had uh, righteousness in his own eyes. But ultimately, it could not do uh, what he wanted it to do. The law of Moses, uh, obedience to that law, is not enough to make someone holy or righteous. No one can live a good enough life on their own to be righteous before God. Uh, Paul would later write in Romans 3.23 that all human beings have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So we are all beneath uh, what God desires for humanity. And that's why we need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And through believing the gospel message of Christ, we can be saved from our sins and obtain the true freedom which the law of Moses could not provide. Now, in verses 40 and 41, at the end of his message, Paul then warns the Jews in the synagogue against uh, being unbelieving by using the words of Habakkuk 1.5. His point here is that he wants to warn them, now that they've heard the gospel of Jesus, they're responsible to believe it and to respond accordingly. So he closes his sermon with a warning that they should believe these things and not simply walk away from them as the Jews in Jerusalem had done. Now, in verses 42 and following, we hear about the response of the Jews in the synagogue to this. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. They are so uh, amazed by what they're hearing that they want to hear more. 
verse 43, and after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. So we see the response here. The Jews initially want to hear more about Paul's message. And after the meeting, many stay to talk with Paul and Barnabas. And so much so that the next week, almost the entire city comes out to hear from them. Now, the next week, the Jews saw the crowd and were jealous of the response that they were getting to the gospel. And so they begin to argue with Paul and revile him. They were showing themselves to be opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 46 and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. But since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Well, this would have served to infuriate the Jews but be a point of rejoicing for the Gentiles. And so when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Because of the formal rejection of the gospel by the Jews, Paul and Barnabas turned to the Gentiles. The Gentiles are overjoyed to hear it. And those who had been appointed to eternal life believe. This shows that God was, again, sovereignly working, just as he had in Israel's past, here in Antioch, behind the scenes, accomplishing his divine purpose in the creation of the local church here. Well, in verses 50 through 52, uh, we see, but the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, just a couple quick lessons for us from this passage. Jesus is the promised Messiah the true seed of David. Jesus offers forgiveness of sins and true freedom, not just for Jews, but Gentiles also. And the message of Jesus and his death and resurrection, while it brings opposition, will ultimately bring great blessing. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit Emmaus.edu.